0: So welcome to North Roanoke. We're so glad that you're here. We are working our way through the book of Philemon. Uh, I like to call it Philemon sometimes just for fun. He was Jamaican. Not really. So uh, we've found our way down to verse 8. So if you'll just grab the book of Philemon, it's after all the books in the New Testament that start with T. T. And then if you get to Hebrews, you've gone just a little bit too far. And we spent about a year in Hebrews. So you should know where Hebrews is by now. Just back up one book and you're there. Uh, you say, I'm a guest and I, I don't even own a Bible. That's fine. We'd love to give you one. Uh, you can find one on your app. Uh, you can download a million of them. Use the table of contents. No shame in using the table of contents. But if you would find your way to the, to the book of Philemon... It's a short little letter, it's Paul's shortest book in the New Testament, 325 words in the Greek, 25 verses, and uh, it's a story about a, a slave master and his slave, uh, Onesimus, who has run away from him. He's, he's fled, and Philemon is uh, a wealthy man who is hosting a church there in Colossae, a young church in his home, and so he's, a, he's an important leader. Uh, in early Christianity, important leader in the church, and his slave has run away. And we've already talked about the background of slavery and how it differs from slavery in uh, the history of the United States, if if you need to re-examine that. That was two weeks ago. But Onesimus has fled, and he's likely made a deeply costly financial mistake, or he's intentionally defrauded Philemon, his master. And so, Onesimus somehow gets to the Apostle Paul who's in prison, and the Apostle Paul leads Onesimus to saving faith in Christ. And so in the first seven verses, what we saw was that, that Paul is setting Philemon up for a test. He, he tells him that he's a beloved brother, that he's a fellow worker. I've heard about how you love the saints, I've heard about your faith, I've heard about your fellowship, how it's grounded in your faith in Christ, and I'm so thankful For all those things and and now Paul is sending his runaway slave back to him to see what he's going to do about it and so in verse 8 we get the the word therefore which is a transition it's a word of transition based on everything that Paul knows about Philemon about his love and his faith and his fellowship and all those good things. Believing that God wants to work even more good things into his life and out of his life by this situation. Therefore, verse 8, I'm going to begin to to make my request of you. And here's what Paul is saying. Because Because I know, because of what I know of your life, and because Jesus is giving you an opportunity to know even more about his saving power and his reconciling power, his ability to bring people together in himself, I've got a big ask. Would you hear with me the word of God? Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. Since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I've sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Did you pray with me? Lord, show us your reconciling power tonight. God, remind us how much we've been forgiven in Christ, and therefore we can freely forgive others. God, remind us that you turn slaves into brothers, that you turn enemies into friends. God, that you take neighbors and make them co-laborers in the gospel. God, remind us of the work that you've commissioned us to do. God, you've made us ambassadors of the gospel, and it's a message of reconciliation. God, let us step into this story tonight. Let us find ourselves in it, and let us hear you speaking to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you four things from this passage tonight, from these eight verses. The first thing I want to show you comes from verses 8 and 9. To be reconciled with those who have hurt us, with those who are estranged from us, those who are distant from us, those that, that we might label as our enemies. We scroll on Facebook and we go, how in the world did you post that meme? That is crazy talk. To be reconciled with those people that might drive you crazy otherwise, the first thing we see in the text is we must be motivated. We've got to be motivated by love. As an apostle, Paul can order Philemon to do what he's supposed to do. He can just say, I'm the apostle that got the church started down there, and you owe your life to me, basically, because if I hadn't followed Christ in the gospel, then you wouldn't have saving faith, so just do what you need to do. I have that authority, is what Paul is saying. I can order you to do what is right with respect to Onesimus. This letter is short, but it could be a whole lot shorter. Here's what the letter could have said from Paul Hey, Philemon, it's Paul. Yeah, that Paul. Somehow, Anesimus made it to me. Somehow, your Anesimus made it to me, and I led him to Jesus, and you know what's up. Do the right thing, sincerely, Paul. But that's not what he does. Instead of ordering Philemon to do what is proper or right or fitting, He wants to give Philemon the opportunity to want what Paul wants. Paul is clear that he doesn't lack confidence or boldness. He doesn't want Philemon to mistake that he indeed has the authority. That's that's in the background. Like, that is the right thing, and as an apostle, I know it's the right thing. I'm not afraid of commanding you, regardless of your wealth and importance in the life of the church. Don't mistake this as cowardice, Philemon. But see, Paul doesn't want to lead from authority because he wants Philemon to get to the right decision on his own. He doesn't want to bypass that opportunity for him. On the other hand, Paul doesn't want Philemon to confuse his kind care and concern for capitulation or cowardice or confusion about what the right thing to do is. What he's going to ask him to do is the right thing to do. He's got the authority to command it. I got to, I got to, Share with you, just as a a personal aside tonight, pastors aren't apostles, but they have been given a leading authority in the church. And I understand well what Paul is saying here, and I think any good pastor or pastors would. Pastors are shepherds and overseers. They are called and commissioned to lead and admonish and rebuke and exhort and encourage and apply the Scriptures to the structures and the life and the programming of the church and to guide her toward biblical faithfulness. And that's not an easy work because sometimes pastors have to say things that people don't want to hear. But godly pastors like Paul aren't interested in just getting to the right decision. They delight in seeing God's people doing what God desires because they really desire what God desires. And that's leadership and that's hard. It is hard to have authority and not Lord authority sometimes when you see exactly what needs to happen, but you've got to wait on the Lord to do the convincing and get a heart there. So while Paul could command, he holds back, and he first teaches and aims to convince the heart. Parents understand this well, right? We can get our kids to obey because I said so, and that's a decent start, but you'd much rather your children obey because they love you. Reconciliation that's only motivated because I said so is kind of like putting the bumper back on your car with duct tape. It might work for a while, but then the sun erodes the duct tape and eventually wears it down and the bumper falls off and it never looked right to begin with. What you need to do is you need to screw that thing back in with bolts. And that's what love is. Love is what forges relationships that endure. Paul tells him in verse 9, I want you to do it not just for my sake, not just because I said so. I want you to reconcile with Onesimus for love's sake. Now we might think that Paul is letting Philemon off the hook by not commanding him, but, he, but he's not doing that at all. Paul is actually upping the ante for seven verses. I've heard about your love, I've heard about your faith, I've heard about your fellowship, I've heard how amazing you are in the gospel, so act for the sake of love. Doug Moose says this, our relationships to one another in Christ create expectations and impose obligations that can't be ignored and often go far beyond what the law might impose. Paul puts the ball in Philemon's court. He's in effect testing the depths of his love and the extent of his understanding of Christian fellowship. How far does the love of God extend in your life? So rather than start with a command, Paul appeals to Philemon for the sake of love. Love refers here not to love is love, but to the agape love of God, the selfless love of God. It refers to Paul's love for Philemon. It refers to Philemon's growth in and understanding of the depths of God's love. It refers to Onesimus' new identity through God's love, through faith in Jesus. It refers to the, to the display of love through the church in the wider community there in Colossae that's going to come about because a master and a slave become brothers in Christ. Did you know that one act of reconciliation can bless many? That it can strengthen the church and bring glory to Jesus. This love also includes the the love that Paul hopes that Philemon will demonstrate toward him. We see that at the end of verse 9. Paul reminds Philemon that he is old and that he's in prison. There's a lot going on between the lines in these verses. And right here, what Paul is saying is, I want you to love me as well. As we learn in verse 11, Paul has found a great helper in Onesimus. But Paul sends him back so Philemon can grow in His own understanding of love. This means that receiving Onesimus as a brother in Christ will be an act of love, not just toward his slave, but toward Paul as well. You see, in this scenario, Paul is acting like Jesus. He's bringing two estranged parties together in himself. He's saying, I know who you are, I know who Onesimus is. I love both of you and for the sake, you might have this something going on for, with Onesimus, but because you know me and because you love me, step out in faith and act for the sake of love. Both Onesimus and Philemon owe their spiritual lives to Paul. And when they love one another, they are loving Paul. How much more, church, must it be the case that we are loving Jesus when we love others that He has rescued by His blood, even if they used to be our enemies, even if previously they harmed us, even if they were my brother who was a knucklehead who picked on me for 20 years, and then he came to saving faith in Christ, and now he's my true brother. Christian relationships have implications far broader than our personal interests or preference or assumptions or even our past hurts. God is calling us, church, to pursue oneness in Christ. Why? For the sake of love. Love for Christ, love for our former enemies, love for one another, and love for the watching world because we have a love that they can't understand. The second thing we see in this text, not only is that we reconcile for the sake of love, not just because somebody said so, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we have the love of Christ on the inside, the second reason we reconcile is we believe that Jesus changes people. Do you believe Jesus changes people? I'm so glad Jesus changes people. In verses 10 and 11, Paul finally names the name of the slave in view, Onesimus. For nine verses, the name of the person that the letter is about has not been given. In the Greek, Paul holds his name back until the very end of the sentence. So in verse 10, it literally reads something like this. I write to you. Now remember, Onesimus is standing there. He's brought the letter back. So like, Paul, what, are you, what is this about? It's got to be about Onesimus at some point, right? I mean, he's standing right here, and he's brought me the letter, so we're reading it. And remember, all the way back to verses one and two, it's not just Philemon; it's Philemon and his wife and his son and the whole church. Paul, I write to you. Uh, excuse me. Paul says, "I write to you for my child, whom I've begotten in chains, Onesimus." It, do you feel how radical that is? He didn't say, I write to you about your slave. He says, I'm writing to you about my child, a child that I've given birth to while I was in prison. That's who I'm writing to you about. Hold on, my slave standing in front of me, and the apostle Paul just said he's writing to me about his child? My runaway slave is now the child of the apostle Paul? I don't know how to do justice to what Paul just did to Philemon in verse 10, but it's, it's pretty major. I'm gonna try to replicate this scenario. Imagine you're riding down the road with like your best friend, and then you see some lady over in the yard doing something crazy. You're just like, what in the world is she doing? And you decide, it just comes out of your mouth. You're like, what is that crazy woman doing over there? And then your friend goes, Man, that's my grandma. That's where Philemon is right now. All the frustration that Philemon felt turns on a dime in a moment when he hears Onesimus is Paul's child. When Paul says he had begotten Onesimus, he means that God had used him To bring Onesimus to faith in Jesus. doesn't mean that Paul saved Onesimus, but Onesimus was saved through his testimony. He was born again. The Spirit of God worked through the hearing of the Word of God to make Onesimus a child of God and therefore a son of Paul in the ministry. And when God changes you, when you encounter your sin and you see it for what it is and you say, I don't want that anymore, I want Jesus and life everlasting in Him, God changes you on the inside and that's what we see in verse 11. Paul uses a word play, a, a pun, a play on words to highlight the reality of the transformation in Onesimus' life. It, it's, a, it's a pun, it's something like, you know, if you said spilling the glue led to a very sticky situation. That's kind of what Paul is doing here. Paul's pun is based on the meaning of the name Onesimus, a name that was common for slaves in the first century, a name which means useful or profitable. And by running away, Onesimus the useful had proven useless. In fact, he'd proven worse than useless. He had... He had defrauded the family. He had hurt the church. He would brought pain and hardship to the family that had welcomed him and provided him and saved him from death and destitution. But now Onesimus has met Jesus. The slave who had been useful in name only is now Paul's child and a child of God. His value is no longer found in his name, but in the name that is above every other name. Because if Jesus, the useless one named useful, had suddenly become especially useful in things that really matter, in eternal things. As one who had become useful to Paul, he was likely assisting Paul with his personal needs while he's in prison, helping the gospel go forward. Paul does not excuse what Onesimus has done. He doesn't make light of the fact that Onesimus is a sinner. In front of everyone, Paul's words ring out. Onesimus is there holding. He has handed the letter over, and now the letter is being read. And Paul says for everyone to hear, Onesimus the useful used to be useless. But now, he is truly useful. The word useful there means especially useful. The formerly useless Onesimus is no longer marked by his uselessness. Here's what Paul is saying Jesus changed him. So relate to him based on who he is now in Christ, not on the hurt that you have harbored in your heart from the past. Did you know Onesimus is a picture of all of us? We were slaves to sin, we were rebels. But when you turn from your sin and your deceit and your lies and your trickery, in a moment, God can make you useful in things that truly matter. When we come to Jesus, He changes us. He forgives our sin, he, he cleanses our conscience, He helps us stop living in guilt, He gives us a new perspective and power for pursuing God's agenda in the world, which is why Paul does not dwell on the past hurt, but on Onesimus' new identity. Here's what Paul is saying to Onesimus, put on a new pair of glasses. See your slave in an entirely new way. See him from the perspective of God. Deal with Onesimus, not like your runaway slave, but like he's my child. Church, do we still believe that Jesus saves and changes and uses people for his glory and the good of the church and the good of all nations? We live in a a hyper-polarized country. We are so tempted to turn on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, whatever we watch, and to make enemies out of people that God wants to save. Did you know that God wants to save the person that's behind the label that you're seeing them through? Church, we cannot forget the radical identity changing power of Jesus. The the people who are wearing the crazy stuff on the news and they're holding the signs that drive you crazy. God wants to save them. Who is God leading you to see through a different set of lenses for the glory of Christ? And will you do it for the sake of love? So we've seen that to be reconciled, we do it for the sake of love. That we can't forget that God is in the business of changing people. And thirdly, we see in verses 12 and 14... That we've got to pursue reconciliation. We must pursue reconciliation by modeling personal sacrifice. At the end of verse 11, Paul says that Onesimus has become useful not just to Paul, but to Philemon. Now that's a little bit interesting, isn't it? Because Philemon and Onesimus are separated, perhaps by thousands of miles. And Paul says, Onesimus is already useful to you. What in the world is going on? How in the world is Onesimus useful to Philemon? Well, the answer is in verse 13. Paul says that Onesimus, the runaway slave, who has now become his child, is serving him in Philemon's place or on Philemon's behalf. Do you see that? Now, hold on a second. My runaway slave is serving you on my behalf. What's going on? Do you see what Paul's doing between the lines there? He's making some assumptions. His first assumption is this. Philemon, I know that you've been praying about me in my imprisonment. And I know that if you could have helped me, you would have helped me. Not just pray about me, you'd you'd have helped me directly. But you couldn't do that. But your slave ran away and he came to saving faith in Christ. So now your runaway slave has been helping me on your behalf. Isn't that great, Philemon? And then he makes a second assumption, which is so powerful. He assumes that Onesimus, the runaway slave, is an equivalent substitute for Philemon, the master, in the service of Paul. In Christ, Paul sees master and slave as brothers and equals. Paul is helping Philemon get some new gospel glasses on of course philemon would have helped paul if he could and guess what he has been through onesimus so why doesn't paul just make that argument send the letter and keep onesimus with him why doesn't he just keep onesimus write the letter stop at verse 13 and be like checking out onesimus is hanging with me we're all good he's serving your behalf peace He sends Onesimus back so Philemon won't miss the blessing of being personally involved in reconciling with his runaway slave. In verse 14, Paul echoes what he said in verses 8 and 9. He wants Philemon to want what he wants. He wants Philemon to want what God wants. He understands that the goodness that God wants for Philemon. Look back to verse 6. He prays that there would be good things that God would work into him in this. And now in verse 14, he's saying, I want the goodness that God wants for you to be more than about good results, but also good gospel-driven motivations. He wants him not just to do the right thing, but to do it for the right reasons. Paul understands that there's a war that often rages in the world of our desires. Do you ever feel torn? Paul is so real with Philemon right here. In fact, he models it in what he says about Onesimus. In verse 13, he wished to keep Onesimus. And then in verse 14, a very similar verb that means to wish or desire. But I did not wish or desire to proceed without your consent. So I wanted to keep Philemon, but I did not want to keep Philemon. I mean, Onesimus rather. I I wanted to keep him, and I didn't want to keep him. And ultimately, Paul sends him on because, get this, God does not want us to be detached from what we do for Him. God does not want us to be detached from what we do for Him. Peter applies the same principle to pastors when he says, don't do the work of being a pastor because you have to, do it because you want to. Paul says the same thing about our giving when he says, don't give under compulsion or reluctantly, but give based on what you've decided in your heart. Did you know God wants your heart to be wrapped up in what you're doing for Him? He doesn't want it to be an offering envelope checkbox. I checked all my boxes and so I'm good with God and I can do whatever I want. No, He wants you to do it out of love. The reality is there's seasons in our life when our deeds are consistent with what God wants, but our hearts are far from Him. And if that's where you are tonight, God wants your heart. Maybe you need to pray afresh. Maybe there's a lingering sin of indwelling bitterness that you need to confess. Maybe you just need to get back into the Word. Maybe you just need to search Scripture and beg God to to move in your heart afresh for the sake of love. God's agape love manifests itself in selflessness. So here, Paul, who could have kept Onesimus and told Philemon to just get over it? This is what's happening. I'm an apostle Instead, he models the very sacrifice that he is asking Philemon to make. In verse 12, Paul calls Onesimus his very heart. Onesimus has become Paul's dear friend and companion in his imprisonment. Paul mentions his imprisonment three times in five verses. Letting Onesimus go is going to be a real sacrifice to this prisoner, but Paul lets him go for the sake of love. Yes, Paul could have justified keeping him with him, but instead he took the lead in doing the harder thing and sent him back. Do you know what gospel wisdom is in Christian relationships? It's doing the harder thing. That's not what the world says. Worldly wisdom says make it as easy as it possible is as easy as possible for yourself. But gospel wisdom is going the second mile for your brother and your sister. When presented with choices impacting the lives you are called to love, one easier for us in our flesh and one harder, aim in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the harder thing. Paul lets his lifeline go, his very heart, so that the hearts of others could be reconciled for the sake of love. But Pastor, you don't you don't know my situation. You don't know my hurt. You don't know what it would cost me to release. You don't know this pain that I would have to release in order to be reconciled with someone. No, I, I don't, but I know what hurt is. I know what it's like to see people walk away and never walk back in and never know why. I don't know what it's like to wrestle in your Room in your closet with the living Lord of the universe, and get to a place where you say, "I'm ready to receive them back." And God, whatever I can do to make that happen, make it happen. Reconciling takes the selfless love of God, and finally. To reconcile, verses 15 and 16 show us we've got to remember that God is in control. You say, I I could never release that hurt. I could never release that pain. I could never make that sacrifice. I could never go that far in my marriage with my spouse. You don't know what she did to me. You don't know what he said. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. No, I don't. But I do know that God is in control. And that's what Paul says in verses 15 and 16. In verse 15, Paul uses the word perhaps to humbly remind Philemon that God stands over all that he's experienced. Perhaps you were separated so that you would be brought back together, not for a little while, but for forever. Do you see what Paul wants? He wants Philemon to stop looking at what Onesimus did and start looking to what God is doing. The word was separated is in the passive voice. The Bible scholars call this a divine passive. It means simply that God is the one acting. Even though you think Onesimus was the one defrauding you, God was at work behind the scenes in ways that you didn't realize it. What if God caused this separation? So here's what Paul is saying. Hey, Philemon, what if if God separated your slave from you? What if if your refusal to take Onesimus back would be refusing the very work of God in your life? Do Do you believe, Philemon, that God works in all things for the good of those who love him? Romans 8, 28. If so, Philemon, can you see by faith through the hurt that you feel to the hand of God in your life? What if Onesimus would have never come to saving faith in Jesus by staying in your home? What if it would have never been authentic because he would have thought, well, that's just what I have to do because I'm your slave, so I'm going to come to worship, I'm going to do all the prayers, but it's never going to be a real faith for me. So he defrauded you and he ran away and he ended up somehow with Paul and, praise God, he actually came to real, authentic, saving faith. What if you have a brother now because God separated you so that you could have him not just for a little while, verse 15, but you could have him forever? What if God was at work? However difficult the situation and however much Onesimus may have been at fault, God had a good intention in view. Does, Does this not remind you of Joseph back in Genesis? You remember his brothers? They sell him into slavery in Egypt. And he's raised up to be a leader in the land and then there's a famine that comes and God had revealed to Joseph there was going to be a famine. So he stockpiles grain. Then all of his brothers are going to die because of the famine. And so they go to Egypt. Perhaps there's some food for us in Egypt. And they encounter Joseph, the brother, that they sold into slavery right there. And when when it is revealed to them that Joseph, their brother, is the one feeding them, Joseph says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. Do you believe God can still do that? That he can take the person that hurts you and turn them into a lifeline for you and for others in the sake of the gospel. That someone can go from useless to useful and that part of that process might require that your perspective be changed and that you look to God and trust in him who is sovereign over all things and you go back rather than stay distant forever and act like reconciliation isn't in God's will. Reconciliation is possible. When we understand that God is in control. By looking to God's greater purpose. Philemon can release his rights and his hurt. He can rest in God's goodness. And act for the sake of love. Acting for love's sake church. Always comes at a cost. But the cost is not drudgery. It's joy. It is a joy to be able to offer back to Jesus. The one who laid down his life for us. To offer Him our lives by forgiving and receiving and moving forward in the sake of the gospel. In verse 15, this little word, have back, is a a term used in commerce in the first century that means to provide a receipt for a sum that is paid in full. Have Him back. Give Him a bill of sale that says, You're clear, Onesimus, you're welcomed into my family like the past doesn't even exist and we're moving forward for the sake of Christ having Onesimus back will mean forgiving the past and charting a future together for the glory of Jesus as though the past was not there because Jesus had borne the cost in his own body it will mean seeing Onesimus differently now Philemon will not see Onesimus as a slave but as a brother Philemon's got to see Onesimus through more than his social and legal status. Through the same blood of Jesus, the sins of Philemon and Onesimus both have been forgiven, and so they are both sons of God, which makes them brothers in the Lord. So Philemon should welcome Onesimus like the prodigal son. He should kill the fattened calf and have a party. His slave who left has returned as a brother both in the flesh and in the Lord, and it was all ultimately God's doing. Now this phrase, in the flesh and in the Lord, and I'm almost done, but this is amazing. Because in the Lord covers it all. It it covers our human existence and our eternal existence. It covers everything. But Paul here and nowhere else in Scripture says both in the flesh and in the Lord. What in the world is Paul saying? Well, scholars... Speculate about what might be going on, but perhaps Paul is hinting, and we've got a few more sermons left, at least one in this book. Perhaps Paul is hinting, hey, maybe more than just being a kind and gentle slave master, maybe you free Onesimus. Maybe you just make him a brother, period, in the gospel, so that in the flesh you're no longer slave and master, but brothers in the Lord. What about us? Will we pursue reconciliation with those who've hurt us? Or will we grab onto the grudge, maintain our assumptions, hold onto the hurt and fail to forgive and in the process really make a mockery of the blood and cross of our Lord? Will we embrace those who've hurt us or will we see the easiest out and the most convenient excuse for giving up? Do we believe Jesus still changes people? Do we recognize that He still has a work to do, not only in the one who harmed us, but in us as well? And do you trust Him in that? Are you willing to give up past hurts and do the hard thing for the sake of the Gospel? I don't know who God's calling you to be tonight. Maybe He's calling you to be a Paul. And you know one who's harmed another, and because they both respect you, God is calling you to be like a Paul And to bring two people together in the Lord. Maybe he's calling you to be like an Onesimus. You you were on the run. You were running away from a problem. Or a brother or sister that you had harmed in the Lord. And God is saying, look, you got to go back to them. you got to go back to them with a letter that says, I was useless. But please receive me as your brother or sister in the Lord. Because Jesus is changing me. Or maybe you need to be a Philemon. Somebody did you wrong. They did you bad wrong. But they would love to be restored to you. Do you believe that whatever sin has been committed against you is nothing compared to what you committed against Christ? Do you believe that He paid it all? Do you believe all to Him I owe? And if so, will you release the hurt, return to the brother or sister you've harmed, or bring someone together in the, in the gospel, all for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, and for love's sake? God, help us to honor Christ in our response to His Word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it pierces where we need to be pierced, and it touches us in places where we need to be touched, and God, as I, I prepared this week, I thought about just so many implications of what you're saying here for, for marriages, for friendships, for coworkers, for how we think about the watching world, for how we think about those that drive us nuts on the on the news. God, there's there's so many applications of this text. That there's no way to cover them all, but Holy Spirit, you can. And God, you know, and you you've shown us that, that when we're not willing to forgive. that we're not seeing like Jesus sees. And so God, I pray that, that whatever hurt is in this room and whatever hurt is online, whatever relationships are circulating in people's minds in the hearing of this, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring a conviction or encouragement or empowerment or that opportunity. God, for there to be a oneness in Christ For there to be healing and wholeness. And that your kingdom would be expanded and built up. And that brothers and sisters would be one in the Lord. Because God, the reality is whatever hurt is there. You died for it. And because you've paid it all, we owe you our lives. And certainly we owe others forgiveness. So God, we ask in Jesus' name that we would be a Jesus people for the glory of Christ, and for the sake of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.